0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Relative Pitch. Today, we're so excited to have the, okay, Dr. Chandler L. Wilson, okay? He is the Assistant Director of Athletic Bands and Assistant Professor of Music Education at Florida State University. Also, big composer, big just music educator, all the big titles in the world. So, we are just so thankful to be in his presence today. Hey Chandler, how are you? Good, good afternoon. That's a, <laughs> it's a very heavy introduction, but excited
1: uh, to be here with you all and to uh, to chat a bit. So thank you all for the invite.
0: Yeah, thank you for, for coming. So well, Chandler, tell us like, I mean, you are at the Florida State. So how did you like get to where you are? Where Where are you from? And what did you do? Wow, uh, it's a journey that happened
1: somehow some way. Uh, if I can tell you that I thought this is where I would be uh, definitely wasn't the case. Um, I'm from Miami, Florida. So I was born and raised in Miami, Florida, and uh, did all my schooling there um, from K through 12. I went from there to Florida AM University, FAMU, uh, historically back college and university in Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, for my undergraduate program, I originally started off as a computer graphics major and took a whole lot of turns and stuff like that and uh, ended up becoming a music major at some point and had a great time there, uh, involved in the March 100 and uh, a lot of the other programs that we have with our wind ensemble and uh, chamber ensembles and things like that. I've had a great time at FAMU. Uh, after I graduated there, I taught in Hollywood, Florida at Hollywood Hills High School. So had a fantastic time there with that program uh spent four years there and then uh had some folks that asked questions about have you ever thought about getting a master's degree and i was kind of fighting it off for a while and uh decided to entertain it and ended up at indiana university of pennsylvania where i got my master's in conducting with jack stamp and uh phenomenal composer and conductor uh, which kind of worked out because it was similar to i think what i wanted to do uh in life And then went back to teach in the same area, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood, Florida at a school called Cooper City High School, which is actually on the same street as my first job, just a mile west. So it was very unique and uh, spent two years there and then uh, got a call about possibly auditioning for a Ph.D. at Florida State University and uh, did the thing, Uh, went there and got the degree and spent three years in Tallahassee. And uh, graduated in 2019 with my doctorate in music education with an emphasis in conducting. Uh, from there, I went to Eastern Michigan uh, in Ypsilanti, Michigan, for a year. Uh, absolutely had a great time. Beautiful place right in between Ann Arbor and, and Detroit. So a whole bunch of culture uh, to experience there. Plus the snow. That's another experience. Love and, snow. You know, Pennsylvania was one thing, Michigan, that's a whole nother difference. Uh, but experience that. and then. The position at Florida State opened up and uh, talked to my wife about it and applied and was lucky enough to uh, get the position. So I've been here now for three years, completed my third year here at Florida State University. And uh, it's been a great journey so far.
0: Oh, my gosh. I feel like you've literally like been so many places and things. (laughs) Um, So, well, first, I want to go back some you you had a, a interesting path to get into music. Like you didn't start, you know, the common, oh, I started first day was a music major. You were all the way in another building and completely in a different pathway. So, what was like your original uh, mindset? I'm gonna go do this instead of music. What was that like?
1: Well, uh, I was huge into computers uh, in high school. Uh, the high school I went to, Miami Senior High School um you know how they have magnet programs in all the inner city schools so I grew up in an area called Carroll City but I went to Central which is in Liberty City just about 30 40 minutes apart but Central had a computer magnet program and I was able to get into the computer magnet program and there I started to develop a uh a liking for digital graphics so like doing 3D uh videos and images and stuff like that and it became something I really enjoyed doing and when I got to Florida University. Uh, in the journalism department it was under there and at that time right if i remember correctly because we talk about two decades now i believe it was shared with florida state university and i've always had a love for florida state uh deon sanders put me on florida state and i've been a florida state fan uh ever since so even our house is miami i was florida state so that one game every year is always very intense uh my mom still calls me now like week you know we do like the, the the actual week of the game but um Yeah, I wanted to do computers. And I kind of worked my way around. And I think ultimately, I was probably trying to do everything but teach. That's really what I think my brain was doing. So I switched from there. And I went to ancient history. And from ancient history, I went to like physical therapy. I was like all over the place. Oh wow! uh, My junior year, uh, we were in practice at FAM. And uh, part of my scholarship was to be in applied lessons to take theory um and be you know in all the ensembles um as as a part of the scholarship so i had a chance to get to know a lot of the professors in the uh, department of music and dr white asked me one day during a break he said channel you're not a music major i was like no doc and he was like but you're this and you're that and you do this in the band and you play this we're here but you're not a music major i was like no he was like come to my office tomorrow morning at eight o'clock And you know in college eight o'clock in the morning is just off limits right so (laughs) Uh, you know, I, I did as told and I showed up at eight o'clock and it was like one of those old intervision, I mean one of those old intervention TV shows where you walk in a room and it's just people. And that's kind of what it was. I walked in and it was our theory professor, it was some of our applied professors, uh, some of the directors, and they were like, Hey, we really think you need to consider um music, and you know, 15, 20 minutes later, I walked out with a change of major form. And I uh Try to complete everything I can, uh, and as quickly as I could. So it ended up taking me six years to uh, to graduate because I started, like I said, about middle of my. Uh, or I, I think I made that change right at the beginning of my junior year. So made the change there, and uh, that's kind of how I landed. So I think I was just trying to avoid teaching.
0: Mm-hmm. Not
1: sure why, but
0: maybe it's just you know the mindset of a twenty year old. Right. I mean, did you did you have like family members who were teachers or did you just was like teaching is not what I want to do?
1: Uh, yeah, my mom's a teacher. Or she was a guidance counselor. My grandma was a teacher. I have a whole lot of aunties that are teachers. Um, um, some of them became teachers later on uh, in life. I think I just I like to play and mm-hmm. Music was one thing that was that was most consistent uh, for me, and I enjoyed it. But I don't know if I wanted to do it for a living, and uh, but yeah, teaching maybe maybe it was that too. But yeah, I I grew up in the school, so I was maybe trying to find another way around it. But that was just my fault. <laughs>
2: No, you know, yeah. it's, it's interesting because we, um, we talk a lot about career paths because not all, like all of us here have, you know, we've gone through something and had a switch or change trajectories at some point um, here on Relative Pitch. And uh, we always talk about how it feels so quick as an undergraduate where you have to decide what you want to do for the rest of your life. And it seems so odd to you know, these 17, 18 year olds to be like, you decide now, like what you're gonna stick to and to expect them, to mm-hmm. expect a hundred percent, you know, percentage of everyone to stick with that. I think it should be more encouraged, honestly, to do what you kind of ha- did yourself without even, um, it doesn't sound like you were prompted to do it, be like, I'm gonna try this, mm-hmm. I'm gonna try this, I tried this, I tried this. And you're not, what I love about it is you're not talking about anything necessarily negative. You're saying, you're seeing all this as leading up to where you currently are. And so now being on the other side where you were an educator, have you, have you been able to kind of give advice to your own students who may be feeling that same like loss or disconnection with what they want to do?
1: Yeah. A lot of times when I meet somebody that may be coming to our university or any university in general and they're like hey i'm thinking about majoring in this or that's one of the first questions i asked hey i'm going to school great what do you think about majoring in when they say well i don't know i say perfect yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it's weird because like the parents are kind of look be like what's well, like yeah i said this is a place where you just kind of figure it out you know there's no there's no time limit on college and um that's something i speak to our students about or those that you know come in and we have some one-on-one conversations is sometimes we get locked in that pressure of trying to finish at a certain time, uh, especially in music, because they get there and it's like, you know, I'm 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 going to intern the fall of my fifth year, and now I'm gonna be behind. It's like, no, you're not. Your path was just different. You took different classes. You were, your your weight load was different. Somebody might have just like bulked up on a bunch of classes. For you, you needed to work, or you needed to find a way to have some mental relief, and you didn't want to have to take all these classes. So, you know, college doesn't have an expiration date. Granted, you don't want the soda to go flat. That's right. you, know, you don't want to be there too long. But yeah, whenever you get in and you experience what you want, or if you want to double major, that's a question we get a lot of times. Like, I want to major in this and this. It's your life. Nobody can really tell you no. All they can do is say, well, maybe here are some things to consider because of the workload. But if you're willing to tackle it, then it's your job to do it. So uh, we do get a chance to talk about that often and just encourage them to uh, figure out their own Mm paths.
3: I I recently had a prospective student talk to me. She wanted to be something to do with uh, legislation, like an ambassador and something like that. But she loves music. I'm like, hey, there's not enough of you. You could do a double major. You can even do a minor. And you could just uh, do this thing in government where there's not a lot of musicians I know of and be have that music background. So you can fight for us. Mm-hmm. So we ain't got to be fighting by ourselves. And so she's considering a double major or a major and a minor and combining those two things. And people are like, well, you have to choose one thing going into college. And I, a lot, a lot of students are like, well, my band director told me to be a music ed major. Cause that's what he did. And I was like, okay, <laughs> is that what you want to do? No. But have you ever sat in a classroom for eight, nine hours a day and taught kids, no, you might want to go do that. Like just observe one day and see if your headache is too strong at the end of the day (laughs) or if it's just the right amount.
1: (laughs) That's the truth. And actually, if you want to, there's a young lady that uh, um, just finished a degree here at Florida State because, you know, we're in the capital of our city. And she got her degree. She had a BA in music and flute performance, I believe. And now also is in her master's for, I think, political science and does work at the Capitol building. So that's a great reference if, uh, um, you know, they're interested in kind of speaking to somebody that's done something like that.
0: Um, I love how, you know, when you, when you were in school, you had the option to do things. I mean, I was reading, like, you were arranging, uh, at such a, like, a young age. I saw that you were, fam, you literally chose you to arrange some of their things, and it's, it's funny hearing you say, oh, yeah, I started doing this, and I tried my best not to fall in this lane, but I'm like, it was calling you so loudly, so, so, so loudly, so, I mean, how do you even get to be chosen as like one of the fam use arrangers? I mean, everybody knows Fam use arrangement. So yeah, come on.
1: That's that's humbling. Um
0: <laughs> Yeah,
1: uh, you know, I, I I had a I'll be honest, I think I had a bit of a, an an uh advantage my high school. Uh, was very similar to uh, FAMU. And actually, FAMU's current director, Dr. Chipman, was the director at that high school.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah, I had him for like two months before he left to go to FAMU. And um, so as far as the the music that we played and things like that, uh, it was you know, a head start on kind of hearing what the family sound was. And uh, some friends and I, you know, we're dating ourselves a little bit here. You know, we were trying to do new new stuff in the stands or a new halftime show. You know, we had to like dub the tape and then get the tape across town to somebody to arrange it. You know, there was no emails. or like, here's YouTube and go to Minute, you yeah. know, blank. So uh, when we started wanting stuff really quick, some friends and I were like, hey, let's just kind of figure out how to write it. So about 10th grade, we started arranging for our, our uh our high school band. And uh it was a real life scenario. There's some times where I would write stuff and the trumpet players would be like, hey Chandler, nope, can't do that. Like this is this is not a good idea, uh-huh. you know, type thing. Or I would start to study uh some of the stuff study some of the stuff that we would play that Famu played. So I'll look how Sarge would orchestrate the trombones or how he'll play the horns. And uh when I got to FamU, I think it was 2004, um, we had opportunity to arrange um, something simple. It was like ESPN or something like that. And um, it kind of opened the door because FAMU is very selective and uh, Mr. Sargent is very selective uh, with the folks. I mean, granted, people, you know, they'll go in and Sargent always listen, we're always willing to play something. And uh, that kind of opened the door. And then uh, 2005, we played Tennessee State and we did a jamboree. And we needed a whole bunch of new stuff, and it opened the door and opportunity to do it. So, uh, myself and a couple of friends, we started writing out a whole bunch of things, and uh, uh, the you know history from there is kind of there. So, you know, I've, I've been blessed to have a lot of pieces played or arranged, uh, arranged for uh, FAMU uh, during the days, and it's been a while though. It's been a little bit over a decade uh, since I've done one. Life's just been a little different. And, uh, you know, we get tired and we get busy. And then you pass that down to somebody else getting that chance to uh, to do that. But no, it was uh, a good blessing uh, opportunity. And uh, Sarge having trust in me and also teaching, you know, so he'll sit down and say, how about you try to voice it this way? Here's a different way to look at it. So, um, you know, being willing to learn uh, as well was a big part of it.
0: So uh, fun facts for anybody that's listening. Um, the ESPN that Chandler is talking about is honestly my favorite ESPN arrangement. Um, I used to play it at my, uh, at my high school. I gave it to my students. And it was always just my favorite thing to listen to. I, I take it everywhere I go. It's mine. And the thing <laughs> is, until you literally just said it, Like, I remember seeing ESPN arranged by Chandler Wilson, but until you just said that, it finally clicks that, here it is. I just want to let you know that that ESPN arrangement is literally my favorite arrangement of that song. Okay? And it's going to I appreciate that. Thank you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm and so I'm guessing that that experience and that opportunity led you on to becoming a like a full-fledged composer like now you are a full-fledged composer how what uh, way <laughs> for that
1: yeah um it 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 helps significantly uh, with transposition that that helped really early so the fact that we were writing stuff and we were transposing it on the spot it's not something we had to learn on the back ends because we, we learned it you know from that from that uh from that lens and uh composition kind of happened uh we were in theory and we started uh, working on um, harmonic minor scales and i'm a huge fan of egypt and the middle east and stuff like that and The Mummy, the movie, The Mummy just came out like a year beforehand. And all I could hear is that be the autumn type thing. And once we started writing the scale, I mean, working on the scale, I was like, I wonder if I can write a whole piece uh, with this scale. And that ended up being my first composition. It's a piece called Elements and uh it was premiered at florida state university by a by a community band uh i would i would have been maybe a junior in college i think at at that time and uh it yeah it opened the door so it kind of helped uh when it it, again going to range and scoring and stuff like that there were some hard parts to realize everything can't be scored like marching band orchestrated that way so those i've kind of had to learn and I learned that from the podium. So when I'm studying people's scores, I can look and see what Alfred Reed does compared to John Mackey, compared to Julie Giroux, compared to, you know, such and such. Um, and getting a chance to see how they get certain sounds and timbres uh, out um, is one of those things that, that helps, too. So in any, in, in any part of our profession, we kind of not necessarily steal, but we borrow. Cause we hear something and we kind of say, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Let me just try to put my own twist on it and uh, getting a chance to, uh, you know, conduct some great ensembles also has also has helped with that too.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, cause I I've heard your pieces and I was like, yeah, this is really great. And, and it's really amazing. And it's also great teaching. And, and it's, when I look at scores, I can always tell, Who's, you know, done teaching? Because it's usually scored very well um, for students to comprehend and all of that. So when you were teaching, how was that composing going? You know, was that inspiration for you to be like, okay, let me write this because I know how high school students or middle school students are. What was that experience like? Uh, It definitely curved.
1: My energy when it came to writing. Because uh, if you hear that first piece, and then like the next piece I wrote after that, I think it's a piece called uh, A Hero's Journey. Um, but it's hard. So in my brain, I'm writing what I can physically play. And when I started teaching, I realized that my students could not play that. So it's like, okay, how do I write stuff that's more accessible to the masses? Um, because granted, you know, we all have pieces that are very difficult and only a select group can play. Mm -hmm. And then we have those pieces that everybody or a larger, um, you know, network of, you know, places can perform. Uh, And that started to kind of curve the way that I started to 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 compose. Mm -hmm. So looking at things uh, range wise, different, you know, the level of difficulty, uh, how long you have the trumpet players playing. Like that's really important because they can't, they, they know if you got to play for 200 measures, good luck. You know, so it's kind of, you, you have to know some of those things by uh, uh, seeing those opportunities um, for sure. But it helped me curve. And then my students at every program I've had have, have always been a part of the process. So if I'm working on something, it's like, hey, can y'all read this for me? Tell me what y'all think. Um, I've even let them name pieces before uh, because you know they're part of the whole journey. And, uh, you know, if if I know if I can get them to play it, then maybe it'll work for, you know, a good level three a level four. And uh, I do do my best also to um, try to make it as educationally friendly as possible. There's some pieces I write that are, you know, for professional groups that's built for different different things. But there's a lot of things in our standard education music that, uh, you know, I'll leave the window open for the composer to do something. So sometimes the publisher says, hey, do you want to put something more specific here? I'm like no because it'd be up to the director to decide what they want to do right and here's a an teaching tool here's a way to kind of go and things like that so uh, I think that's really uh, important because we want the students to have a great time and we want them to you know find it as a challenge but also enjoy the challenge as well
3: um so this all kind of like you were compo- you were arranging composing teaching and that all led you to go study with Jack Stan right. <laughs>
1: Yes. Uh, somebody asked. I was actually looking at another graduate school, and uh, somebody that p- performs in the uh, community band that I was the assistant conductor for asked me one day and said, "Hey, have you ever thought about going to uh, Indiana University of Pennsylvania?" And the first thing I said was, "What and who and where is that?" Never heard of the damn. <laughs> and they were like, "Oh, well, that's where Jack Stamp is." And I'm like, "Well, you know, I like I respect Doctor Stamp, but." I don't want to be a composer for a living. You know, it's like, I like to do it on the side. I'd rather, you know, conduct, teach. And uh, she was like, well, that's what he does. His degrees are in conducting. He's a director of bands, but he also composes. And I looked him up and sent him an email. And literally like the next week I was on the plane to Pennsylvania to audition. So it kind of happened that way because of uh, that structure and, um, you know, writing while teaching and um you know having ensembles and stuff like that so it definitely helped lead me to uh, iup
3: and you did a little bit of both while you're there or did you mainly focus on the conducting and teaching aspect
1: it was mainly conducting and uh but my thesis is a composition uh I took comp lessons uh dr stamp and i we would have conversations about composition if we wanted to but we kept everything basically uh, you know conducting bass, but if I showed him a piece, he'll say, "Hey, so how about you think about changing keys here?" And, and, and of course, if you if you know him, he doesn't stay in one key center or a, a measure. So <laughs> it, you know, so if something's you know something's a little stretched out, but he opened my mind to being, hey, maybe you need to find different ways to get around things. Uh, so we would have some uh, conversations about composition, but the bulk of it was mainly conducting, though. Okay.
2: It sounds like you've had a very like, well, like, well thought out, but like, not even just like everything happening exactly as you planned, but a very well flowing education to your career and various aspects of your career. I'm curious as to with having the different elements of your conductor, your composer, arranger and um, educator, what what challenges have you had to have you gone through and overcome to find that balance and obviously you are a human as well you're a person so you're going through like actual changes and growth so what are the what are the things that you encounter throughout this journey
1: wow that's a deep heavy question it's a good one too because it makes you think um i think one of the 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 parts of the journey that are, that is hard, is leaving something to go somewhere else. And that is very tough uh, to leave my first high school job, you know, to see the program we started with like 24 kids ended like 160. And we were doing so many things, but to leave that was tough. Um, You know, grad school was a little easier because you kind of know it's temporary, you go in and you get out. And then the second program was the same thing, uh, IUP, same thing. Um, sorry uh, Eastern Michigan same thing and the it's been it's been a little tough um, in those transitions because you know you have to let go of something and uh, that makes it hard uh, really really really, really hard to do. Um, growing up, got married, have kids now so that also makes a thing too because it takes a lot of your time. So when you're younger, you know you have the energy to do a lot of this. I mean still I mean still having the energy now is great, but the time is not the same. So you know if you're you know arranging for x amount of high school or college bands, then that time frame has to change because you can't lock yourself in a room for twelve hours for five days. Because when four thirty kicks in and it's daddy time, then daddy time is what's important. So now you have to be a little bit more picky on the things that you do. Uh, saying no to some projects has been hard because you just want to help people as much as you can and. Uh, sometimes you have to say, no, I just can't do it right now because I have to balance out my life the best that I can. And one thing that we learned in this profession that we are still trying to figure out is balance. We can find a way to balance a chord, but the balance, what happens between waking up and going to sleep is still hard. So, you know, balance is still way off. It's it's twisted. And, uh, you know, so it's been it's been it's 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 a it's it's a continued struggle, Uh but it's a good struggle, but it's a struggle that I think we we, we kind of expect and hopefully one day somebody will figure it out and tell us, but I don't think that's going to happen though. <laughs>
2: no, I love that because I think too often when we say balance and we talk about balance everyone thinks that every day that means it's a balance of 10% this 5% this and that it's no some some days a balance is 0% most of this like 90% this one thing that you're ultimately focusing on you know what i mean yeah. and yeah. and i and then it depends because we're we're different every time we wake up there's different priorities and we have different things and people to see that day different places we got to be different things that are just coming up and so i love this idea that there's not like we find the balance and it just is but it's like every day you are searching for what that balance is and what you what it should look like that day um i also love the fact that you talked about and this might be something that anthony would know more about but the idea of like when when it's when do you know it's the right time to leave your where you are and how how to go like how to not think about, you know, the heartache that may come with that as like, am I doing the wrong thing? Like how, like, especially with first time teachers who have a program that they really did maybe bring from nothing to something and it's time for them to move on. How, how I mean, how do you make that decision?
1: Uh, it's, that it is tough and it it's based, it's, I think it's individually based because in your, you know, situation where you are financially where you are, Uh, It's one of those things. Somebody did mention once, like, you know, if you do go to school, make sure that you get something for it. You know, if you go get your master's or you get your doctorate, you know, try to get like school needs to be free or like, you know, you're not coming out of pocket uh, as much because, you know, in teaching, we don't make a lot of money anyway. So you're going to go spend more money to have no money. Uh, It's kind of one of those things to keep in mind. But uh, it depends on what you are seeking. So... For me, and everybody's story is different, so the only thing we can do is tell our own personal story is I looked at getting a master's degree uh, because of a friend of mine, his name is Edric Rhodes. He's now the arts and curriculum director at the Kennedy Center in, in, in DC. And we were walking around Midwest and he's kind of like a bigger brother, mentor type thing. And he said, hey, have you ever thought about going to grad school? And this is, I think, my third year teaching. I was like, No, he said, just go to that booth right there and just go and talk to him. And it was Kansas State University. So I was like, Okay, I went. I talked to the people at Kansas State University. happened to be some grad students there. I left with a little folder. And what happened is when I went back to my hotel room that night, I found myself looking up everything on Kansas State University, because I started to look and see, well, what are the possibilities? What are the things? And uh, it happened for me just through somebody else's idea like, Hey, How about you look at, you know, you're doing some good stuff. How about you find a way to get better at it? And because of that, it opened my eyes. If not, I probably would have never looked at it. I never, it wasn't on my mind. It wasn't on my radar at all. Uh, Sometimes we fall into this thing now, which is a new circle, uh, where people teach. They teach for like a year or two. And it's like, great, I want to go to grad school. Doesn't work like that. I mean, it does in some cases, but you want to find your own niche. And it's kind of hard to not be told to do something different or try something different if you haven't figured out what is your thing first. So, you know, if you teach for three years, four years, five years, six years, you could you, you start to create habits. And then those habits are the things where you go to school and somebody say, yes, that's great. Or how about you try it this way? But when you're still, you know, in conducting 101 and you just 365 days removed, then you haven't really figured anything out yet. Uh, sometimes. So I think the patience game is one of the things that, that's hard to do. Uh, but I think you'll know when you're ready. Um, you know, there's some goal to, uh, you know, be better at your craft. Then I think that is, at least for me, uh, when it's time when you feel like, hey, I'm good, but I need to get better. How do I get better? Uh, and I think that's a good place when you start to mentally think about some of those things.
0: Yeah, because I think, especially when you're when you're teaching you go into habits like my my process was always you know get the bachelor's degree go teach and then while you're in that apply what you've learned from the bachelor's degree and then you're like okay well I still don't know this 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 where can I go get the information all right Let's go get the next degree and then go apply that. So it's all about application um, of what you learn and see what you don't know. Because I I, sometimes I think we let educators go out into the field with no net. Now, I will say Florida State because y'all are big and y'all got a full big net going on, going on down there. Um, But even then, I'm pretty sure there are some that are like, I feel like I am drowning. I feel like I can't turn left or right And just ask somebody, okay, this clarinet broke this. How do I fix this? You know, Mm -hmm. if we could provide some type of net for that um, in this education realm, I think it would be a lot better. Um, But definitely going back to getting more experience, more education uh, before, you know, going on to that degree would be the best way for that. And I think what's
1: cool is um, with that net, is also... Uh, teaching them how to fish. Right. So you also have to know when you don't know something, how do you go figure it out? And uh, Sometimes it's reaching out to other people. So that same guy mentioned, Edric Rhodes. Edric Rhodes, Edric worked at a school, West Boca High School, and he had the best horn section I've ever heard in my life. And I'm like, I need my horns to sound like yours. I I just needed my program to be like his. I modeled every band I had after his. Mm -hmm. And I mean, because his students were phenomenal. His marching band was great. Uh, he had a, he had a competitive program, but in the stands, they were just jamming. But then they could do their other thing on the field. And he had three concert bands that were playing their butts off. Two jazz bands, and his students were normal. I hate to say that when you say it that way. because Sometimes, like you get kids that are like overly band, band, band. Yeah, his students were just normal. Like. They had a break. They're playing hacky sack outside, and they're you know <laughs> they don't walk like machines because you know they, they 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 march a certain way, and it was like man they were just normal. I said, how do I create what you have? And that's something that we just have to naturally do because you can also get education by watching other people, but you know sometimes we think that we have to jump so quickly somewhere else. It's like you know sometimes education is right next door. You just have to get out your four walls and do it. You know, and I think that's just.
0: Uh, you know, something that has to kind of be put out there, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one thing that we'd like to talk about on here is representation. Um, and so it seems like you, you know, born a family, you and you went back to teach and everything, you were a strong representation. You had good representation of uh, musicians and composers and arrangers who looked like you. How important is that to you now as an educator and a person that you're teaching uh, future music educators about representation and getting out of that little stereotypical box of what a musician might look like from 50 years ago? Wow. Oh, man. Uh,
1: We can talk on that for hours. (laughs) Uh, You know, the, the, the thing that's interesting about representation is you ask it in a great way from, you see it on one end, right? When you're growing up in a predominantly black situation. So that's kind of all that we knew. We grew up, everybody was black. The school was 99% black. You go to FAMU, it was black. And then there's some times when you realize outside of that bubble, there's just not a lot. And uh, that was kind of mind blowing a bit. And there are two moments in life where I think my brain started to figure out some things. One of them, I was at a conducting symposium about 10 years ago now, and it was about 70 people in a symposium. And it took like two days for me to realize I was the only person in there that was black or of of any other color. And I was like, okay, so why am I the only one? And then the questions start happening. Well, does everybody know about it? How can they get here? So many other things, because it's about exposure. And then my first uh, national CBDNA which was actually probably that same year, and I got there and I was like, okay, where are we? It <laughs> was just not there, and you know I ran into Roby George who was at Indiana State at the time, and I latched on to Roby, and next thing you know, I'm with Rodney Dorsey and Ricky Fleming and Rodesta Brandon. I was like, great. Here's the people I need to be with, but again, it was just a few of us. And like this year at CBNA National, you got a chance to see we just we all we we all here. Like everybody's here. It's like let's, you know, try to get a chance to be around it. Uh, But the reason why I said I think it's important or difficult with, well, I guess the other side of representation now is we are that representation for that student that is at that school, and say okay, you know, if Doctor or Mister or Mrs. So and So got there maybe I can get there too and uh, the part that's difficult about it is we can't mess up mm-hmm. that's the that's that's the part I think is the biggest struggle because every time we walk into somewhere uh there's an expectation for the students that you're in front of because they might have never had somebody that looks like you or talks like you or use a certain language or slang I remember when I first got to Florida State I started saying some things the kids were like huh I was like oh that means this. Sorry, <laughs> because you know, it's just the Miami and me saying certain things that we would naturally get. And uh, but it, it's it's really important to see it because then that student can say, yes, uh, I know somebody if they have questions and somebody else may have a question about, you know, r- r- representation or uh, different life scenarios. And uh, we were just talking about students and Lauren was mentioning this about uh You know, different areas and kind of things like that is, um, you know, we have an advantage growing up in that situation because when that's our first job, we're used to it. So when your first job is like what you grew up with, it's not as much of a struggle Mm -hmm. because, like, okay, I know what to do. We've done this before. We've been around this rodeo. It's been a little minute. But the fact that the students now know they have somebody that has been through that situation that's teaching them also is important to them now, too. And granted, it doesn't have to be somebody of color. It can be just somebody of any other place. If you're from the Midwest and they're from, you know, Maine, then you get a chance to say, hey, I'm moving up to the Northeast. Tell me some things. And, uh, you know, it's just as, 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 as diverse as it can be. But I think the, the, the part is really difficult now. Uh, is just being a, the, the greatest example that we can be. And uh, just continuing to be ourselves, uh, which is really important.
2: Mm-hmm. No, there's so much, so many things in that, that my brain went, ping, ping, bookmark that, bookmark that. Mm-hmm. And then the, the main thing that you mentioned that has been, I think, um, kind of being discussed more is this idea of like, there's a weight that comes with representation, especially when you are the one who's the representative, that, and when you are the only one in the room, or if you're the one who you reflect what your students, they see themselves in you, it's like this responsibility that you feel naturally of, I have to be 100% every single day, because that is what they're expecting of me, looking up to me. But then also other people who may be praying for your downfall are also waiting for that one moment where you slip up and you're aware of that, you know? And so it's this, it's like, you almost can't be, it's this whole discourse that was going on on Twitter of like, sometimes like this whole black excellence thing, like there's no, where's the black, like we can be mediocre or can we just be okay? (laughs) Like, why is it always like we have to be above and beyond? And it's like, it's because of the representation issue. If you're the only one in the room, you are representing every, like every single, it's like, unfortunately it is monolithic at that mm-hmm. point where you are the one example and so and that's not talked about enough that's why when people all these dei or deia initiatives that are happening it's like when you are putting people in those situations you have to realize the burden and the weight that comes with that as well
1: it is and some of it is if you have a good network which is a big plus so uh, you know one of the things i'm also blessed with is and when I first started getting into like the higher education stuff, I received calls from certain people like Greg Drain at Penn State and say, hey, listen, let's talk. Because you got people that have been through it and they're kind of, you know, helping you, uh, you know, throughout that grind. And, uh, you know, having a network is really important uh, because there you can be mediocre. You know, you can be like, look, man, I just I'm not I'm struggling. Like, what do I need to do? I can't figure it out. And you know if you have that, uh, you know network, it's it, that that definitely helps sometimes too. Um, to uh, you know have people that you can just talk to, to. Um, and vent to. And the weight, the last thing I'll, I'll say about this is like you know, the weight. It's man, it's it can be heavy until like or at least in my experience, like I just go, and and uh, this it's I've been I guess, comfortable that way. Like I just go. I walk into a room and we're we're gonna just make the best of whatever it is. But until somebody points it out, sometimes it's hard. And somebody came into our office the other day and they were looking at all the pictures on the wall. And they said, So how does it feel? And I was like, What do you mean? They said, You're the only person. There's like 35 pictures on our wall of directors that have been through Florida State. He said, You're the only person here. And like it just hit me. I was like, Oh man. Okay. Cause that's a different set of weight, you know, you're one out of 40. I mean, it's like a different number, but, you know, sometimes I think, you know, we don't see it at the same time, but when it's kind of exposed us that way, then I think, you know, it, it makes it really more realistic than anything too.
0: Yeah. Cause um, I, I, I think I had the same um, experience as you, you know, at a symposium where there's many people and you just turn around and you're like, wait, Oh, I am. And I I don't think it it hit me until probably day two, day three, where, you know, everybody's gone and things like that. And then you really realize, like, wait, I am. And I think there should be a study uh, of us, how many of us really just go into a room. We're going to do what we do. We are going to make things better. We're going to just do what we do naturally and then i think reality it's kind of like adrenaline i think i'm gonna call it black adrenaline is what we have or just people of color adrenaline because we go in we just do what we do and it's not until another outside factor is like wait pause look at all of this and Mm -hmm. then you really realize of like oh wow i see i see um and then um, at CBDNA, it, I mean, you see it, like like you you see it. Um, how it, the number is small, but the number is growing. That yes. is the beautiful thing about it. The number is growing, and the the reception, or or I would say the people that are, the room is opening for all of us in a good way maybe t- maybe slow it may be slow but it is opening um so i'm just glad that some doors are opening and and it's becoming more welcoming for all of us to be included in that so agreed and plat- platforms like this definitely help and you know
1: you know bravo to 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 you three for getting this out there and just having this real life conversations because sometimes again it's just exposure so you know somebody won't know that you know symposiums exist because for example that's something we didn't know uh existed until i was in my master's program so you're telling me there's some place i can go every summer and learn how to conduct better it's like you know we just didn't know it just wasn't a part of the you know um a part of what we were put in front of quite often and making sure that we are exposing um you know us to everything and, and everything to us at the same time uh, is what's needed because exposure works both ways. So if they know there's a possibility to maybe attend a certain university or possible to just reach out to the local conductor or flute professor or trumpet professor, you know, in uh, in your local college. just say, like, it's okay to just call them or contact them or, you know, things like that. So, you know, as long as we continue to expose everybody to everything uh, or as much as we can, because you can't expose everything, but, you know, expose as much as you can, then at least it's more knowledge for people to say, okay, at least let me look at it Mm -hmm. and you know, pay it some attention or learn more about it, and I think that always helps.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like, uh, there's a couple of summer um, camps now like for college Mm age kids that are waiving their application fee. Mm -hmm. They want that to be one less barrier. They're like, if you're gonna pay to come here, why are you paying to apply? Like, why? But if it's not gonna go to your, yeah. So why are you doing that? And I'm like, I just forget sometimes. And this year, because there was some, some of my kids are like, I don't want to do drum corps. What else can I do? And I was like, There's a lot of stuff. Why have I never just thought about telling you this? Because it's in high school, it's always drum corps or nothing. (laughs) Okay, let's give them something else. There's like this middle ground. But it's like hard the camps that I like I knew of at the time was like, I don't want you wasting a bunch of money to go to Interlochen. Like you you don't want to drop that much right now. You're a sophomore in high school. Mm -hmm. Like, let's get you a camp in in the state or around the state. Don't travel 12 hours, drop like five grand and then come back. And maybe it wasn't the best time of your life. And so like now doing the research and making sure, like okay, this is the camps the middle schoolers can go to that I teach. Here the camps for high schoolers and here are the camps for the college. It just was never a thing. And so they were like, hey, I really don't want to do the drum corps thing. What can I do? Uh, play trumpet? I don't, I don't know. So I had to be fast on the internet that night.
1: Yeah, well, the summer camps are big. And again, I think the exposure works that way, where if you get a couple of students that attend a camp and they have a great time, then the following year, more people will go. And then the next year, more people will go. And then in turn, your program just get better because as your students come back and they come back energized with more music, let me show you what I've learned. Uh, But, you know, just being exposed to knowing that, hey, every state, there's stuff everywhere. We just have to know where to look for it. You know, we just kind of know what we just know what we know Mm -hmm. and not necessarily know what we don't know. I'm I'm getting really philosophical about stuff like that. But, yeah, because it's like it's like it's like TV shows. Excuse me. Like I have a colleague, we were talking about a TV show and it was uh, The Office oh, yeah, The Office, blah, 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 And I was like, never seen the episode. And he was like, what? I was like, no. I said, question, have you seen Moesha? He was like, <laughs> no. I said, okay, we're just in two different places <laughs> because I wasn't exposed to The Office. Now, it yeah. looks like a great show. It's not like I wouldn't watch it. I just didn't know about it. Or you know, Game of Thrones because I couldn't afford HBO, so therefore I just I just I, yeah this just not my thing, so I mean it is I kind of like it but uh, but yeah it's just exposure I think so sometimes you just exposed to what's around you and that's a part of our job as educators too is to sometimes bring the outside to us and that's as, as well as you know racial you know representation also hey here's some things that we can do check out these things you know at least let me give you the stuff to look at and then you know you can make your decision from there.
0: It's all about just planting that seed, especially as a teacher, just giving just that one seed, and who knows what that student might go ahead and, and do with that. Um, I know me being a teacher, I sometimes I'll just be saying things, and I don't know that students might take that, and, but they do, and then months later, they've created something beautiful, and they're like, Mr. Morris, this and this and this and this, and you said this, and I was like, I did. When did I say that? Is that on record? Because if it wasn't on record, I, I, I truly don't know. But you just—you—you you never know what it is that you might say or that you might do that might change somebody's life. So it goes back to that, uh, to the sentiment that we were talking about earlier about we never know how much weight we have because it can be anything and it can be what you do or what you say. So unfortunately, but fortunately, we have to make sure that we represent ourselves very well. Agreed. So Chandler, it has been a pleasure having you on this episode. Um, How can people stay in contact with you just in case they want to reach out or or anything like that?
1: Oh, you can uh, find me on uh, most social platforms. I just downloaded TikTok the other day. I've, I've been I've been holding off for the longest, but um, uh, Instagram, uh, Doc Wilson eighty four, uh, Facebook. You can just find me Chandler Wilson, and then uh, feel free to shoot me an email at uh, clwilson at fsu. Uh, if I can ever help in any way or answer any questions or uh, just be of service, because uh, that's why we do what we do. It's just a Make sure that everybody can be comfortable that once they walk out their four walls, wherever they are, that they can be as successful as they can. And that's
0: what's most important. So if I can help in any way, uh, please feel free. Absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you, everyone. So please. If you have any questions, please go follow Dr. Wilson and ask him all about it. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll leave all the links down below. So everybody, please have a great rest of your week and we'll see you next week. See ya. Bye.